0: blog talk radio
1: Virginia debacle and we'll talk about Texas Tech tonight and probably preview Baylor a little bit and um, figure out where this disastrous of a season is going to end. Um, Joining me as always from Fort Worth, it's Matt. How's it going tonight, sir? It's going
0: well, sir. Getting all the turkey and ham and everything else packed up and ready to rock for tomorrow.
1: Yeah, the, the the best thing about the, the, the Thanksgiving game, um, obviously for a myriad of reasons, none other than us being horrible at football, is the tailgate. Um, if it wasn't for such a great tailgate, yeah, there would not be much incentive to, to be in Austin on Thursday, that's for sure. So long live the tailgate in these dark days of, um, of football. So hopefully um, we'll get to experience some um, winning waves someday. Um, I don't know when we're going to talk about that tonight, uh, because I'm seeing a lot of similarities. The era that we're in now, um, you know, year six, um, you know, uh, uh, I feel like we're back in the mid to late '80s and the '1990s before Mac Brown took over. There's a lot of similarities, and sadly, um, I, I'm 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 in a bad place with Longhorn football. I just don't see many positive signs, and I'm going to point out some things, and I'm hoping that you are. And our guest here in about three minutes, Scott Ebert from Burnt Orange Nation, will see it different. Um, but, you know, the question that I keep asking myself as we sit here November 24th with the season starting back in August, have we improved as a football team? When I, when I look at the team with my own eyes, do I see improvement? And I just cannot say yes to that question at this point, Matt. I see no improvement. Um so that's got me concerned. Now, do I see improvement with individual players here and there, playing a little bit? Yes. Peter Jenkins has played well. Malik Jefferson has shown flashes, but as a whole, this team is not better. Uh, and in some instances, I would challenge uh, anybody to say that we're possibly worse. So that's one thing. The second thing that's got me concerned is is we're 23 games into the strong error. Um, nine blowouts with, I think, at least one, possibly two more blowouts on the horizon. So that, that's got me concerned. We're, we're not even – one, I don't think we're improving. Two, we're not we are not in competitive with most games. And a third thing that's got to be a huge red flag for, you know, many fans and not just me is the fact that uh, most likely I think it's fair to say Watson's not going to be back this year. Robinson, the running backs coach, is probably out. And I wouldn't be surprised if Wigline is out as well. So basically in two years – we, have, we will have 0% of the original offensive staff. So if anybody can sit here and say that at, at 100% or 80% or even 50% that they think we're headed in the right direction and Strong is the guy, I need tangible evidence to, to, to prove me wrong because at this point I don't see it. But now on the line is our good friend from Burt Orange Nation, and, and hopefully he can provide some evidence for me and Longhorn fans that Strong is still the right guy. Um, so, welcome back to the Orange Report. Wes Scott, how's it going tonight?
2: Oh, I'm doing all right, Mike. Uh, I think it sounds like I'm doing a little better than you are, but I guess we're kind of here to talk about
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I just, I'm sitting here and I, and I go back and forth on this thing every day. I mean, I, I, admit, I, I admit, I understand the dumpster fire that Mack Brown left. It's horrible recruiting for three or four years. I mean, I understand that. There's no senior leadership. I mean, I, I mean, I can go through that whole list, but at some point, in my opinion, and I mean, it's my opinion only, elite coaches find ways to win games. Now, of course, I was at six and six before this season was started uh, in the preseason, and that is still in play. Yes, and, 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 and but my, I can't get past my eyeball test. We just don't look like a good football team. I mean, and we're not a good football team. Uh, so. And I and the question I started right before you got on the, on the line was, and I want you to, this is where we're going to start is, when I see us, our last game versus West Virginia, versus what we looked like in August, I don't see any improvement as a team as a whole. I see some individual players that have gotten better, but as a team, we're no better November 24th than we were August 31st, and that concerns me. Your thoughts.
2: I would say you know mike um I, I think this program is is still really at a state right now, where um there's not a lot of really linear progress that's gonna go on um I think when I think about you know the body of work and and what Texas has accomplished this year um you know they they've taken steps um towards potentially finding you know quarterback i think um you know the defenses have adjusted and and some of the passing game issues that have started to make themselves apparent. Um, you know, I don't think we can definitively say that, that Gerard Herod is going to be, you know, great Texas quarterback. But, you know, they've made steps in, in starting to find him. But, you know, he's still um, so young and raw. And, um, you know, I think you really look at those games against, um, you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, uh, you know, two, two teams that are really um, kind of solidifying themselves as, as two of the best in the country. And Texas walked into the Cotton Bowl and, and smacked Oklahoma around. And so I think um, in moments like that, you you see the you know the upside of of this Texas program and, and what it could be under Charlie Strong. Um, and and so it's frustrating, of course, that you know some of the uh, same things that have you know plagued the team for the last two years, and you know ultimately going back through the last stretch of that um, brought Mac Brown down. Um, there are blowouts, you know, but this year we go again moments that happen that um, you know tend to cascade. I, I thought Texas. Um, besides some of the really bad, you know, turnovers and, and giving up that play before halftime, um, for most of the game, they, they really moved the ball very well on West Virginia. Um, it was a pretty cohesive offensive effort that was marred by, um, you know, probably a little bit of bad luck and, and some poor ball security. And uh, that's what really sunk that game. But, you know, I would say offensively, there's there's definitely um, improvement along um, the offensive line. Uh, the offensive line has really come a long ways uh since especially where it was last year and, and having two um cornerstones in, in Connor Williams and Patrick Bahe, uh that's something that's gonna be really key for this team moving forward. And you know the difference between where um Williams is as a freshman and, and the play that they got from Marcus Hutchins last year um is just light years apart and so you know I, I think Jade Norvell has uh had some, you know, kind of questionable moments, but um I think overall he's he's done a pretty solid job and in terms of, uh, you know, helping this team, uh, you know, be able to get to the spot where some good, happens, good things happen. And, I mean, Deontay Foreman, uh, I mean, he's already one of the most explosive running backs in, in Texas football history. And so um, there's another guy that, that they can start, um, you know, building the offense around, uh, John Bird, of course. And, you know, so I think really um, when you want to look for positive, there's flashes from a lot of these young players, and you see improvement from them. And I think ultimately, you know, what's really dragging this program down right now is, is the fact that, you know, they're just getting so little from from the upperclassmen. And, and those are guys that are trying to mentor the younger players. But, you know, three of the five uh, losing the senior classes in, in Texas football history are uh, 2012, 2013, and, and this senior class. And so you're uh, talking, I think, I'm sorry, maybe the last, Three senior classes, but you know you're talking about guys who who learned from some of the losingest players in Texas football history, who then taught uh-huh. more. of the, You know it's just this like this like negative feedback loop of of this terrible uh, football culture that Mack Brown left, and and so you know I would say to to you and and the other people who are frustrated, you know Texas lost most of their ten best players from last year and not having anything behind them except for really the guys that, that strong recruited and a few pieces of, you know, the 2014 recruiting class. Um, he just, he had nobody behind those players. Um, and so, you know, some of the things like, uh, defensively, the, you know, the defensive line being so up and down, that's, you know, that's, uh, unquestionably bad. And, um, I think uh, offensively it it has really been, um, you know, pretty much a train wreck for a lot of the decisions that that Charlie Strong has made. And, you know, you see some kind of uh, some elements of that at at Louisville, too, where he had to fire Stanford early into the 2011 uh, season when Watson took over. Um, And so that that definitely um, is really concerning to me. And so I think, you know, besides what happens with the 2016 recruiting class, uh, whether or not Strong can get it right uh, with his offensive assistance um, you know it's going to determine whether he lasts at Texas and you know I, I think that's a fair um, you know critique of Strong and, and to say that it's you know it's about that like if he if he can't get it right then then he's you know not the right coach for Texas and um, you know right now I don't know if he is but I mean he's going to prove whether he is or not uh, by the decisions that he makes on his offensive staff in the offseason and and whether he can pull this class together?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, the, I mean, I mean, he's still in the heat, obviously. You know, with all the, you know, the Miami talk that's gone on. You know, who knows where that's going to go? I mean, it seems like that's finally, you know, dying out. That they've pretty much dispelled it. But I mean, there's no doubt that there was enough smoke that, you know, maybe not him, but somebody in his camp, you know, put out some feelers because he wasn't feeling it. He was unhappy because obviously with Patterson and you know, a lot of things. So maybe he does feel a little more love, but that that's my biggest concern is is if you're a if you're in the top six highest paid coaches in, in all of college football. So we're paying we're paying elite money. Uh we haven't got elite results and I understand that it's not all his fault. Again, we can rehash the talent and those things and all the players that he kicked off. Um uh, and it, but if you're, if you're getting paid that money and expected to be at an elite level, you shouldn't be having to be told and get a complete reset going into your third year again on your on the entire offensive side side of the ball. And what I told my co-host, co-host Matt the other day is, or a couple of weeks ago, is I just don't think he's going to be able to change the way he thinks with offensive football. You just go back and look when he was at Louisville; he believes that you're going to run the ball, throw the ball a few times, you are going to keep the ball nine minutes, and you're going to win 27-24 or 19-13. And that's all fine and good, but it's just not going to work the way the rules today are meant towards offense. So I, I got, I, I have a sneaky, sneaky feeling everybody's going to be highly disappointed in this offensive coordinator hire. Not only are they going to be disappointed when we light up in August and we see that we're basically doing the same thing, he's going to live or die by it and I think he's going to die because it's, he's going to have to change everything he's believed in football for 40 years, 35 years, and I just don't think he can do it. Maybe I'm wrong. I just think he thinks you can win that way, and you probably can in the SEC and a few other places. I just don't think it's feasible in the Big 12 today. I may be wrong.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely agree with you, uh, Mike, and that was something that I kind of uh, took note of. Kind of early in, in fall camp, you know, they've been the whole uh, off season spent talking about how they're, you know, they're going to run a spread offense It's, it's going to look a lot different. They're going to feature the, you know, the playmakers in space and, you know, on and on. And then, you know, Strong comes out and he's still saying the same things. You know, I want to run the ball. I want to control, you know, the clock. And and so I think that is a big question. And um, you know, I think it's it's interesting to look at some of the um, offense they're excuse me, defensive head coaches around um, college football and the responses that they have to the offense that they like to run. You know, Nick Saban is, is very much of a pretty conservative, old school, you know, wants that pro-style offense. Uh, Champ was definitely that way and, and sort of tried to change a little bit but, but didn't really, you know, know how to do that. And I think, you know, that's kind of a, where I'm a little bit concerned that, you know, that Charlie Strong is right now. Um, and, you, you know, you contrast that with guys like, Gary Patterson, and Bob Stoops especially, I think, has really um, made a lot of his career at Oklahoma by being able to go out and embrace the type of offenses that he sees that are that are difficult to deal with. And so, you know, the genesis of, of Charlie Strong and his uh, offensive philosophy, I'm not sure exactly where, the, where that came from. Um, but it strikes me that, you know, he was a guy that he really made his living at, at South Carolina after they had that. Um the eleven season in his his first year under Lou holtz there, and he had to go out and, and figure out a way to stop all the kind of the early spread offenses that were were operating at that time you know he, he went and kind of uh dug out the three three uh stack defense and, and started using that um and so really, what he's made his coaching career on is being able to adapt his defense um to be able to deal with uh, some of these offenses that obviously have um evolved a lot but you know, in that process, he never really had, like, that same, you know, revelation that the guys like Bob Stoops had and and Gary Patterson, who certainly, you know, made some very good offensive coordinator hires over the years and and embraced, you know, what I think you would describe as a type of offenses that that really gives him trouble. Um, And so, you know, I don't know, like, maybe, you know, is this something that that Strong will have a a revelation about? Is this something that... Mike Perrin, you know, can talk to him about. He seems like he has kind of a small, um, you know, inner circle. I think the only way that, that Texas can really get this fixed is, you know, they have to either go out and find somebody who can, you know, run the Bryles offense or, you know, I don't know if there's any good Urban Meyer guys out out there, um, you know, or or find somebody with air raid experience. I think that's that's the only way that this works. Like if, if Strong doesn't, you know, really – embrace this spread movement and, you know, hire a very good coordinator and get some good recruiters in. Um, I don't know if this is going to be, you know, a tough thing for, for Texas late in this cycle to hold on. Um, I think, you know, fortunately a lot of their um, best uh, recruiters right now, you know, Brian Jean-Marie and, and Chris Vaughn are both on the defensive side of the ball and be back. But, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Jeff Trailer, for instance, and, um, Uh, Brian Jean-Marie, I believe, were we're the ones who are going to see Jean DeLance and, you know, making it kind of sound like Joe Wickline just been, you know, completely taken off of that. And so I think really, you know, what Texas is, you know, going to be looking at here is is operating, um, you know, kind of one-handed. And Charlie Strong isn't going to have a lot of time to make those hires, um, you know, without it really affecting recruiting. So, uh you know another complication for Texas as they head into this off season.
1: Yeah, and it, it's not so much the, I guess the style of offense we run. I mean, you look at Baylor; they're still running the ball a lot more than people think. I mean, I think they've actually run it more than they throw it. I'm not opposed to. Yeah, Baylor's a great running team. Yeah, I'm not opposed to being a physical running team. I guess what it boils down for me with his velocity is, even with Baylor running the ball, they can go score in 25 seconds or 10 seconds. Is I guess the word I'm looking for is big strike ability. Strong, it seems to me that he does not want the offense to score in a 30-second in a 30, 30 or a minute-and-a-half drive. He would rather yeah. pass it for eight yards, run it for six, and use eight or nine and so and, and, and shorten the but, game. Okay. And, you know, and he, so it's big strike to me, his ability that he's got a hand-strung whatever offense to not be wide open and go try to score every single play. He just does not want to do that.
2: Um I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I, you know, I think he does have, um, you know, his preference where he where he wants to to be physical first on the ground. But you know, I think a lot of what has has hindered the the big playability for Texas is just poor quarterback play and poor offensive line mm-hmm. play. You see, um, you know, Texas not really being able to pass protect a lot of times, and so I think. You know that really not having a lot of great you know playmaking depth at, at wide receiver, and I think also you know of course not not having the concepts um, to be able to to attack defenses in the same systematic way, and, and so I think you know it's not really a willingness on the part of Charlie Strong, um, you know, to try to go produce big players. I think you know you just have to get they have to I think they have to get better at the fundamental you know aspects of of putting you know, people in a position to succeed and and having, you know, another problem that that Gerard Hurd has had that uh, Jay Norville has talked about a fair amount the last few weeks is is just his anticipation and the ball coming Mm -hmm. out of time. So, you know, you just see him be a little bit slow, you know, processing things, and this was a problem that that Tyrone Swoops has and, um, you know, I I think is really a tough thing for quarterbacks um, to overcome because uh, so much of, of playing the position is about you know things moving slowly and being able to anticipate uh, when a guy is going to come o- come open and, and the timing and rhythm of plays and so I think when you don't have that timing and that rhythm you know that that impacts your ability to to stretch the field vertically and, and there have been times where um, where Texas has been able to do that some of the the, the big plays from uh, from John Bird I think have been you know really hardening and, and looking forward. Uh, to what this Texas offense could become uh, as some of these uh, young guys mature. Um, but I think also, you know, you see them at times take, you know, other shots like that and, and it just doesn't work because there's a breakdown in, in pass protection or, you know, the ball doesn't come out on time through your So I think what, what Texas really needs to add is there's the systematic concepts um, that work off of each other and allow for those big plays to happen. And, um, You know, they need to hire a really good quarterbacks coach, too.
0: Yeah, Matt, go ahead and jump in. Well, one one question I've got, or a comment, I guess, just adding on to what you guys are saying is, does it really matter what offense you're running when your offensive line is a complete dumpster fire, which it was last year? Um, I mean, to me, that's where it all starts. And I guess I go back a little bit to, I hate to bring his name up again, but the Patterson-Wickline deal and this very awkward uh, lawsuit and how that's been bungled. And, you know, if it's true that Wickline's, uh, you know, maybe not long for the 40 acres, I guess my question is just, if if Wickline's the guy that you're going to base your foundation on, that you're going to start with a strong offensive line, and I think that's where Charlie was thinking uh is to establish that running game and you know play powerful football. Well, there's no way that was going to happen in year 1 because they just didn't have the offense or the offensive line up front to do anything like that. Um and I think if you take uh you, you look uh, at other schools, you know, all these guys look like geniuses uh when their offensive lines are blocking and dominating the the, the line of scrimmage. So I go back to you know looking at the whole strong era, I guess is okay, well, you know, we, we're we starting to see a little bit of progress on the offensive line. I think everybody thinks, you know, Williams has done a good job. Vahe's been a solid contributor. You're building something there. Now if Wickline's gone and you're retooling your offensive coaching, offensive line coaching, uh, I, are you just caught in that cycle that you can't get a solid foundation up front? And then does it really matter what bells and whistles you throw on it whether you're running air raid or power, you know, run games or running an Ohio state or Alabama offense or TCU or a Baylor offense, it feels like that's where it all really needs to start. Um, and then, you know, establish that foundation and go from there. Cause I'm kind of like Mike. I mean, I have no problem with running power football, but uh, I think when you do that early on with a poor offensive line, it's going to look really, really ugly.
2: Yeah. There's no question about that. And so, I think part of um what may have happened is, is that the Texas coaches when they were building their plan um for for the two thousand fourteen season didn't really know what they were gonna have. Um and so mm-hmm. uh when you look at kind of the, the factors that, that went into the terrible play last year, um, you know, losing Dom Espinosa was huge. You know, God they were gonna have to replace any anyway. Um but, you know, that really hurt the offensive line. Um having to dismiss Kennedy Estelle. Uh, Desmond Harrison completely uh, washing out really hurt the offensive line and, and that's undermined a lot of what they've done and you know having having so little on campus you know, go, going back to the talent issue that's hurt but yeah no I agree that that um, you know that is you know kind of the foundation as uh, um, we we're talking about with uh, Williams and Vahie earlier and so they have they have those two guys to build around and um, they have another season of Kent Perkins um, Elijah Rodriguez looks like he, he may i uh, be able to be a capable guy. And, you know, I like uh, Garrett Thomas and what he can bring to the table. You know, Texas does have um, a foundation there with the offensive line where it will make it easier for the next offensive coordinator that comes in uh, to be able to to develop a, a system that works. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. One of the things that's happened as the air raid has, has matured is that there's guys like Bolgerson um, who are, you know, running – stuff that, you know, in the use of, of H-backs looks a little bit like um, some of what Urban Meyer did. And so I think there there are a raid guys out there that, I mean, you know, if you spread the field and, and you have an H-back and, you know, you're running slice zone or inside slice zone, I mean, that can be, you know, pretty powerful play. You know, Texas has been very good at running, you know, uh, counter and um, power this year, too. So, you know, I think there, there's a basis of, of some things that um, are going to come together uh, for Texas next year that that I think, um, you know, provide some hope for the offense uh, regardless of, of uh, you know, what system gets in there. And, you know, a, a lot of Charlie Strong's future, I think, is going to depend on, you know, the type of growth that he gets from Gerard Hurd because, you know, I just don't think any of the other guys are ready. Um, you know, I like Shane Ruschel. I think he's, you know, a good player and, you know, certainly there quarterbacks that you know other schools with good systems and good quarterback coaching have have been able to plug guys in and look at you know baker mayfield nobody even wanted him like called up texas and mac brown was like uh eh, you know no thanks i don't really think you're the right fit here and um so i think you know gerard gerard hurt too is a, is a very important element for texas moving forward and i'm not sure that he's ever um you know, going to be a great quarterback at uh, progressing through his reads. But, um, you know, if he can show incremental development and they can uh, find other ways to protect him a little bit better, um, you know, then then Texas might finally have a little bit of an answer there.
1: Well, before we let you go, what what do we need to do Thursday night to to get the win um, against Tech?
2: Well, I think the first thing is, is really to be able to run the football. Um, A lot of teams have been able to do that against Texas Tech. Texas Tech has a a very poor run defense, Um, you know, but Texas is missing three pretty key elements. Um, Jonathan Gray probably a little more valuable right now in pass protection than in actual running, but, you know, Vahe and and, and not having uh, Deontay Foreman likely is going to be tough for Texas. Uh, So, you know, Chris Warren and, you know, either Rodriguez or or Nicholson or whoever ends up starting is going to have to step up and then, I think the other thing is, is being able to really tackle well in space. Uh, with you know some offenses, a lot of the the big play wide receivers in the Big Twelve, I uh, really worry about them getting over the top of your defense. defense. Uh, but with Texas Tech, it, it's more of the shorter passes that guys like Devin Lauderdale and, and JaKeem Grant can catch. And with the open field tackling ability of, of the Texas safeties, you know Dylan Haynes and and Jason Hall being so questionable, you know I think that's going to be tough for Texas, but. You know they're probably going to be in their three three for the most of the most of the game. So you know that Texas Tech running game is pretty dangerous. Uh, dangerous with DeAndre Washington, and so I think you know if they're gashing them in the run, this isn't you know Mike Leach Texas Tech team that's just going to go away from it and and really let you off the hook most likely. Uh, so some some definite challenges um, for the Texas defense and the Texas offense. I think it's going to have to play at a high level. And, you know, obviously the margin for error um, is not particularly high. So, you know, all the usual things about turnovers and avoiding penalties uh, certainly apply very much to, you know, a team that that doesn't really have the mental ability or the firepower to be able to overcome some of those type of mistakes.
1: Well, go ahead and give us your um, wonderful score prediction, if you don't mind. Oh,
2: man, I can't even predict what's going to happen week to week with this Texas team. I have
1: no idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> right there. I, I know I'm right there with you. I, I've I've gotten a few right this um, this year, picking us to win. I've gotten a lot right, picking us to lose, and been kind of all over the place. But I've I've pretty much determined that I'm not picking us to, and, and I and I hate to be this way. I'm just not. I'm at a point now that strong is going to. I I'm gonna I would rather just eat Crow. He's just gonna to have to prove me wrong at this point. I mean I hate to say I'm off the wagon. I mean but I, I'm about I've got one arm hanging on the wagon and it's kinda of dragging me at this point. So I, I'm not gonna pick us to win a game again until I just wanna get proven wrong. I've gotta see it on a consistent basis. And I hate to say that but it's just where I'm at because the the game that lost me was twenty four nothing to Iowa State. I mean that just can't happen ever. I mean, Matt Brown made a lot of mistakes, got blown out a lot. But one thing he did is he always beat teams we were supposed to beat, and, and we're not even doing that anymore. Wow. So, but, but, then I, but then I go back and say there's not many teams we were supposed to beat right now, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. So <laughs> I don't know.
2: So you're saying I didn't tuck you down off the ledge.
1: Well, no, I, I mean, you make me good <laughs> points. I'm just – it's just – I think I just uh, – it's just an eyeball test and, and a gut feel for me, and and, and I, I mean I don't I don't want to keep you on too long, but what I mean obviously all this smoke there, there's there's some there's some middle ground the truth is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think he is somewhat unhappy, uh, and I think he knows it's not working, and that's probably frustration as well. It's probably worse off than he thought it was. Obviously with Patterson, he didn't he probably got frustrated that he felt like he didn't get the support he needed. But even with all that support he didn't get, that still doesn't help any. Anything that he didn't get didn't help us be a better football game. So I don't know if he's 100% in it. It just, you know, sometimes things are just not a good fit. Nick Saban went to the Miami Dolphins and it was a complete failure. That doesn't mean that Nick Saban's not a great coach. Strong may go somewhere next year or the year after and win a national championship. I'm not saying he's not a great coach. I think he knows. He didn't forget how to coach football, but sometimes in life things are just not a good fit. I mean, I, I have a friend that, that 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 you know greatest guy in the world. and He's been on three wives, so I mean, sometimes people just it ain't, sometimes things just ain't good fit. I mean, you know, I, I just I just don't know if it's a good fit for a myriad of reasons, uh, and, and so I guess we're gonna find out because if we're having this conversation probably November two thousand sixteen, it probably is over.
2: Yeah. CBD to yeah. be determined.
1: Yeah, and it will. And my, an fan, in my fandom, and my fandom wants him to succeed. I mean, I don't want to go through a whole new coaching search and then another couple years of this. And I mean, it's bad for us. It's bad for the program. It's bad for the university. Nothing good comes from a complete turnover of another coaching um, change in, in next year. Uh, and God forbid this year if something crazy was to happen. I, I'm not rooting for that. I don't want that. I want strong to succeed. I just don't think he will at this point. That's just my opinion. But, Wes, thanks for um, um, coming on. And I, I did look at your article you had out on the 20th about the, all the issues. Um, so tell our re- uh, listeners where they can find that. That was a very good article breaking down all of the, um, the issues that, that Strong was left. So go ahead and tell our
2: listeners. Yeah, Uh You can follow me on Twitter, SBN underscore Westcott, Wescott, W-E-S-C-O-T-T. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. That uh, was, was a good conversation, and uh, hope to do this again soon.
1: Yeah, we will, and um, I'll be in. All, I'm me and my co-host Matt are leaving for Austin tomorrow. We'll be there at our usual tailgate spot, and we'll be uh, we'll be one of the fifty five thousand in DCR Thursday. So hopefully, we'll get a win.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you're optimistic about the crowd turnout, huh? Yeah,
1: well, out, well, if it's if it's raining, all bets are off for sure, man. I appreciate you. I'm sorry. <laughs> All uh, right, y'all be good. Thanks, man. All right. All right, Westcott Eberts with Burnt Orange Nation. I always like to have him on. He did write a good article that was out on the 20th. Um, y'all go check that out. He kind of laid out the issues, the mistakes that Strong has made, uh, mistakes Patterson had made, the university made. I mean, there's a lot of blame to go in this. And at the end of the day, we're 4-6 and six and 10-13 and 13 and 23 games in. So, uh, I know you heard most of the interview, Matt. I wanted to go to you first and wanted to see if you had any follow-up points or your thoughts.
0: Well, I think it's really good stuff. I think uh, you know we touched on a lot of topics, and just my summation, I guess, of everything is just you know it takes. Well, I'm looking at my house right now, okay, and things have been really busy, and this place is a total mess. And I know that it's going to take a long time to clean this up when I get back from Austin. Uh, but I'm not going to walk in here Friday when I get back from Austin and spend 30 minutes getting one room clean and then look at the rest of it and say, well, I failed because I didn't clean up the rest of it. Uh, I think we have to remember that this was a big mess. I think you t- you really provided earlier in the year some really good information, you know, on where we were talent-wise. Uh, we all know about the Patterson disaster. Uh, I think if you want to point to a mess that Charlie Strong is responsible for. It's going into uh, year two with Watson and then uh, even compounding it, uh, keeping Swoops as the starter when, you know, obviously it took about one half in South Bend to know that was not going to work. And God only knows where we'd be if we had stayed stubborn with that. I, I don't know. If, I mean, we might be two and, two and seven right now uh, if that was the case. If not, one and eight. <laughs> that, I mean, because that was that was a disaster. So not saying Charlie's absolved of all sins here, but it's a big mess and uh, it takes time. Um and I do agree with Westcott's comment, you know, that it isn't linear. I think the West though I agree with you though, Mike, the Iowa State is one of those things that it's hard to get your mind around and hard to be confident when you see something like that. Uh but I think we've said all along that, you know, it's gonna be steps back and uh it's gonna be a painful road. I'm really concerned about uh you know we see it we were talking right before the show started about what's happening over in, in Baton Rouge and you know the fan base just giving up on less miles I, I don't know what's going on there but you do get a point to where it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy i think where if the fans just completely check out after year 2 whether that's right or wrong it becomes impossible to turn this thing around um so I, you know i'm still of the opinion that It's not been fun, and it would have been awesome if we had a magic wand and could have really turned this thing around quickly. But I think in reality, if things had turned around quickly, then if you looked back with an honest eye at what Mac left us, you'd start to look back and say, well, maybe it really wasn't so bad. Things weren't quite so bad because look at this guy and this guy and this guy that stepped up the thing that I'm still confident about with Charlie Strong and and this next recruiting class is going to be everything for him is how many guys out of these classes or the really the one true class that he has recruited so far have immediately contributed uh and are players, real players that you can start to build around. Um regardless of record next year I think that if he does get a similar recruiting class, uh, and you start to see, you know, half the class be or half the squad be built off of guys like uh you know, Burt and the guys in the secondary, and some of the off and Connor Williams, in the offensive line. I think you're building something. Where it's really going to get interesting is if we're seven and five next year, and we've but we've got a class of youngsters that came in just like this one, uh, because I think then you're going to have a fan base that is at war with each other about whether Strong stays for a fourth year or whether he needs to go. Um, and my prediction would be if we get in that situation and if Charlie Strong were to go, uh, the next guy's going to come in and kick ass right away because he's going to have the foundation, all the mess is going to have been cleaned up. Uh, it's going to be there for the for the blossoming, uh, and, of course, because we're fans and we only think about today, we'll think that the new coach is a genius, uh, and he uh, he was the one that was able to figure it out. Um, you know, a little bit like I hate to draw any kind of comparison to between Strong and Makovic based on how Makovic ended, but you know, we talked about this when Mac made his ridiculous comments earlier in the year. John Makovic left Mac Brown a pretty damn good football team in nineteen ninety eight. And uh-huh. I mean, I doesn't necessarily mean Mac was a genius. Now he did a lot of great work to turn around uh, you know, a program that was just mentally screwed in the head after after sixty six to three and everything else. But the talent was there. Uh, that's, you know, fixing the head cases and fixing the confidence is easy when you've got a bunch of talent, when you have a Heisman Trophy winner coming in. Uh, when you've got what we've got, I think, in our roster or what we had last year, uh, it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, all the coaching in the world uh, just isn't going to make up that talent. So what I'm really looking for, just to wrap that up, this recruiting class is everything. <laughs> this is it. I mean, these guys, He needs to recruit guys that understand that an entire program's in the balance, and if they're scared of that, if they're not ready to take that pressure, then good luck at another school because we need guys that are going to step in like this class and go right to work. Yeah, uh, to
1: comment on a couple of your takes, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to have to wait till next year to see the the, the fan base on um, splintered. I, I think it's pretty splintered right now. I, I think it's right down the middle. I mean, there's there there's a there's a there's a big contingent that's ready to pull the plug now. And then I think there's a whole there's a there's a middle ground that's kind of you know could could go either way uh, you know they're open, they're they're willing to give 2016 but if something got you know if the trigger was pulled they would be okay and then you got the ones that are 100 percent saying no he's the right hire and whatever so I, I think it's pretty splintered uh, right now and I think I actually fall in that middle group. Uh, I would say I'm okay giving him 2016 because I do recognize the mess that that, that was left. But if, I mean, if we got blown out by Tech and then blown out by Baylor, and Baylor starts a third string quarterback and we lose by two touchdowns, and we're four and eight, and if, if Kareem and Finvis are just convinced at that point, uh, and maybe they they'll have information that we don't, that maybe Strong wasn't ha- isn't happy, and they just don't think he's going to have, or, you know, for whatever reason, if they were to pull the trigger. I'm at a point like today, even without knowing what the outcome of those two, I would be okay with that decision. So I'm saying if I think at this point I can go either way. Um, If we go four and eight uh, and look just absolutely horrible, uh, I I have a feeling which direction I'm probably going to end up, um, what corner I'm going to end up being in pretty solid. But at this point, as I sit today, I mean, I'm okay with giving 2016. Let's see what happens, like you said, with a recruiting class, and offensive coordinator hire. Uh, But if it went bad, and they pulled the trigger, um, you know, I, I'm
0: probably okay with that as well. Uh, well I mean, that, that's, I guess
1: that's really where I am. Yeah.
0: My, my question for the people, anybody that's listening that's, that's just off the train already, is I, I don't understand how you can look at this roster and look at this team and expect much more. Well, I mean, I know, you know, it's a 12-game season, so – Iowa State is obviously uh, one that stings, and you you had a couple close calls. So, you know, I understand that four and six right now looks a hell of a lot worse than if we were six and four. I think people would be over the moon right now looking at, oh, boy, we can maybe get seven, maybe eight wins and build something. But, you know, you've got an offensive line that basically started from scratch. You've got every major position you are relying on, freshmen and sophomores, sometimes true freshmen, uh, you I, I think Westcott made a really good point is that, you know, unfortunately the timing of things, uh, you know, and, and the timing that Mac left is the pieces that were scattered among the garbage were really good pieces. So you had Jordan Hicks, you had Malcolm Brown, you had these guys, but they were one-year players. They were all ready to go to the, either, you know, Malcolm's case leave early or they were seniors. So you got one false year out of those guys and now you got to re- replace those guys. I think where where I'd be kind of more with you is if the freshman class wasn't really bringing it, and we were relying on the garbage, you know, upperclassmen that haven't brought much to the table, and those guys were the ones that were losing. Then I would say, holy crap, now you've got these upperclassmen that Mac recruited, Charlie can't win with these guys, and we haven't even seen the youngsters because they apparently can't beat out these other, you know, pieces of junk. So in that case, I think that'd be different, Um You know, I, I just feel like based on what we're looking at and, and you see this so frequently of, you know, teams have a young, you know, young core. Uh, and I, I know some people will say, well, Texas shouldn't go through this. Well, you're exactly right. Texas shouldn't go through this, but we had two, three dead recruiting classes. So now congratulations, you know, we're Kansas state and we can win when we got one solid class of upperclassmen, (laughs) but we can't do anything until those young puppies grow up. So I think to me, it's, I just think it, that if you if you if you flip the switch after two years, I look at other programs, you know, like uh, Michigan with Brady Hoke. That guy recruited talent, obviously, because Harbaugh stepped in and won. But Hoke was a joke. I mean, he was a horrible coach and just not ready to to lead a, a big time program. I haven't seen that kind of stuff from Charlie. I think that would be my last point. Is just. You know, he hasn't been an embarrassment to the school. He hasn't acted like an idiot. He hasn't made horrible game day decisions. There's always stuff you can question, but for the most part, I think I'd give his game day uh, grade, you know, uh, at least a B minus. But he's not the kind of guy where you think, whoa, no matter who he recruits, I don't trust this guy to lead the team. So I'm just really concerned about getting in that death spiral where you pull the plug too soon and now you lose another class of recruiting and now the next guy's two or three years out. I don't see how that's a better option than going a third year with Charlie.
1: Yeah, I, I think those are, are valid points. Uh, I guess to play devil's advocate, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with these points, but you know, points I've I've heard people say, points I've kind of thought of myself. I guess um, is number one is I guess you know how do I want to say it? I guess even if Louisville he had two good years uh you know with, with Bridgewater um so you take out Bridgewater i mean obviously the, the the argument i think is if he doesn't get if he doesn't have Bridgewater he's probably not even consideration for the job at Texas I know you can say that about a lot of coaches i mean look at Ma, Malazan at Auburn without Cam Newton i mean he probably doesn't win a national championship so yes you have to have a a championship uh caliber uh quarterback so i think there's some concerns for people that are ready to pull the plug is, okay, he's been a head coach for six years and four of them have been terrible and only two have been good. And I think that's about an argument regardless of the quarterback. So I think that's one. I think I think two is is for me, now this is the personal to me that I'm just really struggling with, is the deal that you leave, you walk out of NRG Stadium giving up 67 yards offense, or you, get, you gain 67 yards offense, and you were willing to go the entire off season and not even have an inkling that Sean Watson was maybe the issue, and then obviously you get in to the, in, into the Notre Dame game, and then after that you make it you you realize you did. So the ability not to see that really concerns me. Yes, he corrected it, but here we are now going year three, and he's going to be forced to hire a new OC. So that really bothers me. And then again. I know again we've had an improvement at, the, at at various positions. The offensive line is a little better. There's a few things here and there, but I just my eyeball test just tells me 23 games in, we look like we did 20 games ago. And, and I'm not saying I'm right on anything. People can disagree with me. I can just go by what I'm seeing. Uh and again, I have I I have to I've had to recalibrate myself and I shouldn't be the hyperbole and use one game but man, that Iowa State—part of my soul died on that thing. You just cannot lose to Iowa State twenty-four nothing. I don't care. I mean, you just can't. I mean, and then and so the final thing, and then we'll, we'll move on. So I don't want to beat it to death. Is the fact that for for us to believe where we are as a program, then we we must have the. You have to think that our last four recruiting classes, out of every Division One team, we missed on every player we recruited. Every single player, eighty something kids. That's what you have to believe for to believe that I mean, to where we are. You have to think that, you know, that we have the worst talent, I mean, than 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 ball state or something. I mean, and maybe we do. Maybe I'm just maybe it's way worse than anybody can imagine. So that's the argument people are making, Matt, to where we are at four and six, that you have to believe that our talent that we we have missed eighty five kids four years in a row, that, you know, and, and maybe you know, a, a complete roster. And maybe we have. Maybe that's just hard for people
0: to, 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 to grasp. Maybe well, it was just I, I that would, I would say, I don't to, know. I would, I would say to that that earlier this year, you know, you stated we have, what, nine seniors or whatever, nine yeah. people off of the senior class. So we did completely miss almost – other than Jenkins, basically, we missed yeah. an entire class. I think, you know, the thing about college football is, you know, if you got – 40 good players and you have 40 pieces of junk, those 40 good players aren't going to be as good because you've got to have a program, you know, and you see, that's why every year when you look at the, I mean, it's my pet peeve, every season is you'll see some team that has studs all over the place, a wide receiver, running back quarterback, and everybody shows all these highlights of them running to the end zone and they say how great all these guys are going to be because they're all going to be a year older, and then nobody pays attention to the fact that they've got five freshmen starting on their offensive line, and guess yeah. what? Magically, all those talented players turn into dogs, and then everybody says, well, this coach doesn't know what he's doing. And then, you know, that coach gets fired. The next year, that offensive line's a little bit better, and miraculously, all of a sudden, it starts coming back together again. So, I mean, right. I I think your strongest, your strongest argument, and I agree with it 100%, is the decision not to can Watson after the Arkansas game. To me, that Arkansas game was a fireable offense. Uh, um, you know, we sat through it and had to watch that piece of junk. And I I am totally with you there is that, um, you know, if you have to give out grades, um, Charlie gets an F minus for not addressing that issue right away. And then, you've, you know, I think we said this early in the year, twenty fifteen becomes a completely wasted year because you did not yeah. put your team in any kind of situation to to succeed, but I guess the only thing I would say is you know we knew that at Notre Dame, we knew we were going to pay the price for that all year long, so we can't compound that that blame. We just have to know that that's there. I mean, I'm not excusing anything, I'm definitely not excusing getting shut out by Iowa state um but that that Iowa State game was a result of not making the decision on Watson um at the end of the Arkansas game. He uh, Watson should have paid his own bus fare back to Austin after the after the Texas bowl.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a major blunder and it and that very well could be the one that will is going to ultimately decide his fate is, is a new O C. So we'll move on. But you know, one one quick tidbit is uh, I saw somebody tweet it um the other day and I missed the favorite so I could use it but I don't remember who it was so I just know this is not my information. But I did see I guess it was during the the TCU game at TCU has actually played more freshmen uh, than anybody else this year. So, uh, you know, just thought that was interesting as well. So other teams are, are, are playing young people too, and, and, and are, and are winning. Yep. So I just, but, but obviously when you have Boykin, you're going to make a lot of good freshmen look good. So, I mean, that's, you know, so there, there's a, a little asterisk by that as well. So, well, let's move into some good picks, and I want to start with one. Um, we'll um, we'll start with the Iowa at Nebraska, since um, Iowa is 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 in I guess in the um, the the um, or right on the cuff or in the playoffs um, or in the hunt, as we should say. The, these rankings that came out tonight really don't mean a whole lot. They're going to get real real after this weekend, but they're playing at Nebraska, and I think it's a mute point where Iowa is because I think Nebraska is going to pull the upset. So I'm in. Uh, I was, I guess, about a one and a half, two point favorite on the road. But I'm going to pick Nebraska to end the the speculation on where Iowa is going to be. So I'm going to say Nebraska 27,
0: Iowa 24. That's a good pick. I um, I I kind of think that if Nebraska hadn't upset Michigan State, they definitely would have gotten Iowa. Uh yeah. Or Nebraska is just kind of. They've been a hard-luck team, man. I think they've lost two games on last-second touchdowns, so they're not quite as bad as their record shows. But I have a feeling that Iowa will find a way in this game uh, and keep this nightmare going for another week. I'm going to say Iowa 31, Nebraska 23. All right. Baylor, TCU, I believe
1: that's actually a Friday game, the Friday night Mm -hmm. game. Looking forward to this one. Um, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotion. Uh, You know, Baylor looks like they're down to their third-string quarterback. Spidman is is out, it appears. Um, Boykin, I don't know what his status is going to be. Um, I guess they're playing at TCU. Man, this is a tough game just with all the injuries, all the emotion. Um, I really think the difference is going to be um, uh, Baylor's running game. I think they're going to be able to move the ball. Uh, just, I wish I knew what the status of Boykin was. Um, since it's at TCU, I, I'm going to go ahead and pick TCU, but I think this is going to be a close game. I'm going to say 34-31 TCU.
0: This game is going to be completely awesome. I cannot wait because yeah. of the pure hatred. I mean, yeah. we don't have many, any, many rivalry games left where the two coaches, programs, fans, players – just do not like each other. And I'm expecting this to be the most chippy game of the year. Yeah. Uh, man, it's this is a really tough one, too. I think, obviously, if, you know, if Baylor was at full strength, uh, you'd have to like their chances just because TCU's had to replace so many people. Um, but, uh, you know, every, last week I watched Michigan State and TCU back-to-back. And, and I have to say, other than Staben, who I think you got to still say is the top coach in college football. For my money, D'Antonio and Gary Patterson are 1B and 1C because what these yeah. guys are doing with teams that are injured is just unbelievable. Um and I think Patterson has had this game circled since middle of last year and I think I'm with you. I think they find a way. I'm going to say 40 to 37 TCU
1: yeah, I, I agree with all your points. One of the games I've had I've circled that I've been looking forward to all year. I just wish that, that both quarterbacks were fully healthy and it was all, all it goes, but I still think it's going to yeah. be awesome. Another one, uh, Florida State at Florida, uh, another big in-state rivals game. Um, you know, Florida State, Jimbo Fisher being ne- mentioned out at LSU. That's that's one of the negatives that I, I wanted to talk about tonight. But we're, it's where coaches that are you know still in hunts for good seasons start getting mentioned with other jobs and everything. It's it's just a it's a it's a bad thing with big time sports today. But we don't have time to talk about that. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit next week. So I go. I know that's got to be a, a distraction. Um, Florida still has a lot to play for. Um, they don't need another loss. So, uh, Florida's a three-point favorite. Um, I think it's going to be very close. I'm going to go Florida 27, Florida State 24.
0: Well, I, have, for some reason, watched Florida versus Florida Atlantic last week, and I'm sure Florida was looking ahead, but they looked terrible. Horrible. <laughs> and, honestly, their most impressive game I've seen them play all year was at LSU, which now doesn't look all that impressive. Um so I'm gonna say Florida State pulls the upset. I'm gonna say uh thirty to twenty four Florida State.
1: Texas A and M Aggies at LSU. Obviously, um left Miles seat is hot, 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 and I think left Miles is done. Um but I got a feeling the team is gonna rally behind him. They have three straight losses. Uh, you know, the players, you can just tell they, they like Les, um, but it looks like his days are numbered, but I'm sure Les is going to resurface somewhere. Um, I'm going to say, because LSU just owns A&M, they're going to be up for this. Um, it's, um, it's at Baton Rouge, so obviously they, they generally play well there. So I'm going to say LSU 31, A&M 21.
0: Yeah, I thought LSU would really rally around the coach at Ole Miss, and they looked – and that's a great uh, great comparison, I think, back to our Charlie Strong thing real quick, is that, you know, we've, we've gotten blown out on the road. I know we've had some games where we just got manhandled or whatever, but that LSU team looked like they had no idea what they were doing out there. I mean, it was mass confusion. Uh, they had the goal line stand where they had – I think they – they bungled one play. They called a timeout. They bungled another one, and then on fourth down, they didn't. Fournette uh, didn't know what the play was, and so they had a mix up and they fumbled the ball. I mean, that to me is just. I I, I think the Les Miles stuff is p- a little premature, but I can kind of see it. If that was my team, I would be probably ready to hit the fire button after that after that one series. But I'm also with you that they play a And M well. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see what that crowd is like, uh, whether they're going to focus their hatred on A&M or whether they're going to turn on the team. To me, if I'm A&M, I say you've got to start that game strong uh, to get ahead, and then they may turn on themselves, but I don't trust Kyle Allen to do it. So I'm going to say LSU wins. It's close and boring, and then LSU pulls away and wins 30-13. to 13. The
1: Iron Bowl. Um I'm gonna I'm not even gonna talk about this much. I'm uh Auburn's offense is horrible. Alabama's got their got their eyes on the prize, the playoffs and another national championship for Saban. Um thirty eight seven Alabama.
0: I'll say thirty to fourteen Alabama. Let's see, what
2: was the other? Oh
1: yeah. Bedlam, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma hmm. State. Um uh, boy, would Bob Stoops like that, a certain October Saturday back, um, boy, would he would love to have that one game back. But, you know, hey, it's, it's college football. Uh, you know, I, we were saying last week that, you know, I haven't been impressed with Oklahoma State and they just keep winning. Well, that caught up with them last week. Um, I like Oklahoma in this game. I mean, this is not even a rivalry. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think Oklahoma's won about 80 of them and lost about eight over lifetime. Um, I, think they, I think they roll in this game. Uh, I don't even think this is going to be close. I'm going to say 34-17 Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, I'm a little concerned that, although I gave credit to Patterson earlier, I'm also a little concerned that OU let that TCU team with the backup quarterback hang around all the way to the end. But I haven't been impressed with Oklahoma State all year. Um, so Oklahoma's focused now... They survived CCU. Uh, I'm going to say 40 to 27, Oklahoma.
1: The Egg Bowl, Old Miss, Mississippi State playing at the Cowboy, uh, Cowbell Stadium. Old Miss, two point favorite. Um, I think this is going to be a barn burner. Um, Zach Prescott, I think it's going to be up and down the field, but I'm going to go Old Miss at the, in overtime, 44
0: 41. Wow. Um, this is a perfect game for Hugh Freeze to lose. So I'm going to say 30-27 to Mississippi State. Notre
1: Dame-Stanford, playoff implications mm. big time for Notre Dame. Um, you got to give Notre Dame credit. We saw them live. Uh, man, if they were fully healthy, they're probably undefeated. They are a really good football team. Uh, Stanford's been up and down. They either look great or look really bad. Um, I have a feeling Notre Dame wins this thing, but it's going to be a slugfest. I'm going to say Notre Dame, 27, Stanford, 24.
0: A lot of good games this weekend. I think I have to clear my social calendar yeah. on Saturday. <laughs> my yeah. God, uh, I'm going to say Stanford pulls the upset and ends the Notre Dame talk for the playoffs. I'm with you, though. Notre Dame, if they were at full power, they'd be number one in the country right now they're not, uh, yep. so I'll take Stanford to win it
1: 24-17. All right, and last but not least, the game of the year, four and six Texas hosting <laughs> six and five The Texas Tech Red Raiders. Um, I just don't know what to expect of our team. We've got Veggies out, obviously Foreman's out. We're up and down. Um, the, the weather's, you know, I think the weather's gonna not be a factor. It may be some drizzling. I don't think our fans are gonna show up. I think it's gonna be a just a a, a bad atmosphere unfortunately. But hopefully the kids will come out and play and at least go into the Baylor game with a chance to, to potentially go to a bowl, even though I think that is slim to none at this point. But again, I cannot pick us a win. Um i I just think I just think tech's gonna we're just not gonna be able to keep up with the score and so into the day I'm gonna go tech thirty four.
0: Texas twenty eight. Yeah, I've been all over the map on this game. Um, My first, my first take was that I thought Tech would just not completely blow Texas out, but it wasn't going to be pretty. I've started to lean a little bit back towards Texas, although it's just the, I mean, when you absolutely need Foreman and Gray and the offensive line at full speed, you're missing, you know, Vaje Gray and Foreman. So. That is really going to hurt um, unless we get some kind of uh, you know out of nowhere performance from who's running Warren I guess is going to get the most carries this weekend. Um, it's tough. To, it's tough to pick Texas, but um, the one thing I'm I guess I'll say is I'm looking forward to is typically when we handle Tech especially in Austin it's because our secondary play is really physical. Uh, and this goes back to the Leach days and, you know, even to some of Kingsbury, is that, you know, they're going to catch the ball. They're going to pay the price for it. Um, and I do like that our some of our guys in the secondary play physical. Um, so that's the thing I'm watching for. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Uh, the If they can't eliminate the mistakes they made at Morgantown, I don't see how they win. They may eliminate some of them, but not enough. I'm going to say Texas Tech 41, Texas 34. And then I guess the
1: final four um, came out earlier tonight. I'll start with mine. Mine's a little different than, than than what is announced. I'm no particular order. I'll go order. It doesn't matter. I've got Clemson at number one because they're undefeated. Alabama at number two. And what's interesting about Alabama, uh, they have only uh, beat one ranked opponent this year, and that was um, Mississippi State. And Mississippi State really hadn't played nobody, but. Uh, but but Alabama passes the eyeball test. I mean, they're just they're beating the crud out of everybody they play. So that's my one and two. Uh, number three, I've got Michigan State, and number four, um, I've got uh, Oklahoma. So Clemson, Alabama, Michigan State, Oklahoma at four. Notre Dame is first team out right now. So that's my top four.
0: Mm. I I'm going to say Clemson one. Michigan State to, I guess, yeah, you got it for right now. You got to go Alabama three and Oklahoma four. Um, Although Oklahoma to me, even though, you know, I think they'll beat Oklahoma State, to me, they're a really shaky four. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they better, they're still going to need some help. But one thing I was thinking about earlier this evening is how interesting is that, you know, that last year, I think last year was the Clemson-Oklahoma bowl game where, you know, Clemson just destroyed Oklahoma, and who would have thought a year ago that was going to be a possibly a semifinal matchup this following year. You could have made a lot of money by uh, making that wager, I think. But I think there's still a lot of room to go, and in, as history shows, this last week and two weeks causes chaos. So it could get really interesting if, say, North Carolina beats Clemson um, and if Stanford beats Notre Dame. Uh, you got all kinds of things up in the air at that point.
1: And if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, it's going to get. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, just, I mean, it's going to get crazy. Well, before we go, we're about out of time. I do want to talk about this just real quick. Is um, and I'll ask the question, get your opinion. got is it time for us as Texas to to kill the Thanksgiving time game? Is it time to is it time to move on from that? Uh,
0: I say absolutely. I just don't understand what we're doing anymore. I know that they put the uh, Big 12 schedule out, and it looks like they've got us playing TCU on Thursday next year. I don't know how many years this contract with FS1 includes a Thursday game, but um, I am willing to bet that I know we're bad, and that's part of it, but even if we were good, you could wake people up on Friday morning and ask, the country, uh, whether Texas played last night, and with an NFL game going up head-to-head, uh, I'll bet you one-tenth of one percent of the football fans would even know we are playing, um, and that's just, what's the point? I mean, normally you, you put these games on for visibility. Well, you've lost all chance of visibility now that the NFL has taken that window, um, so I think you move it to either go back to the T plus one when we used to play at, you know, 11 a.m., on Friday or uh or you go to uh Saturday. And I, I think the Big Twelve would have an opportunity perhaps uh if they did a um you know like the big the old Big Twelve did where we have an eleven A. M. and a two thirty game on the Friday uh following Thanksgiving. I know they've got Baylor in there on Friday night this year. Uh maybe you do two thirty and six or windows like that, but I think that would be pretty cool if you had a Big Twelve doubleheader on Friday, but this Thursday thing just isn't working. And and we've said it before the Tech fans and the TCU fans, they're not used to ever playing on Thanksgiving, so it's really hard to get their fans to travel to Austin. The atmosphere has been garbage, um, and I think the atmosphere will stay garbage even if we're even if we're good. I, I'll say that last year, uh, even when we were, you know, in 2008, when we played A&M on Thanksgiving, and we were playing for 45-35 and all of that stuff, I mean, there were still a lot of people that didn't make the game because it was on Thanksgiving, and they just – Said, you know, I got other things to do, so I'm I'm fully in favor of moving it to the weekend. Yeah, I,
1: I think so too. I mean, I mean, I'm maybe at some future date down the road. If somehow the A and M game was to come back, I would be open to it. But at this point, it needs to be killed because, I mean, even if we're a top five team and we were playing TCU and they were a top ten team, I just don't know what interest there, you know interest there's going to be. Obviously, going up against the NFL, so. Yeah, I, I'm at a point that it's time to to go to the Friday or Saturday thing as well. Like I, said, I don't know how much longer this Thursday night contract goes, but uh, yeah, it's time to, to to move on from that game for sure. So, and also before we go, uh, fans and listeners, um, don't forget tomorrow night talking about A&M. We're renewing the basketball rivalry with them. We're playing um, in the Atlantis um, Caribbean tournament. So tomorrow night on AXS T V, check your local listings, um, whatever your provider is. Um, six PM we're taking on the Texas A and M Aggies, the Shop of Smart led team. So they did beat Texas A and M Corpus Christi the other night at home to get to one and one. So it should be a good game. Um A and I think is undefeated in basketball. They hadn't really played anybody, but I'm sure there's gonna be it's gonna be pretty chippy um, tomorrow night. Um, so, um, you, everybody should catch that and get you a good primer in, um, before you watch us um, play Texas tech on Thursday. So I'm actually looking forward to the basketball game tomorrow. It should be good fun, Matt.
0: Yes. Let's beat a and M. Let's not have to listen to those idiots about any sport anytime.
1: Exactly. Well, um, thanks to all our listeners for um, coming in and joining us and pulling up a bar stool on Tuesday night. We'll be back next week. Um, uh, now regular scheduled time on Wednesday. Let's all hope that somehow we find a way to win and, and you know at least going into Baylor, uh we'll have a chance at Boel's ability, but I, I'm afraid our our, our cast is is, is 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 made for this season. I'm afraid we're headed for four and eight. And boy that just that there's just no way to, to make that sound good. That's just bad all the way around and um, it'll be real interesting. Um, um the off season I have a feeling is gonna be very interesting, um, around Austin. So Matt, tell our listeners where they can find you.
0: Sure thing, on Twitter, at UT Tailgaters. No spaces, no hyphens.
1: All right, I want to thank Wes Scott Ebert again for Burnt Orange Nation for coming on. Always has good takes. Definitely go check him out over there. Read his articles. Um, always has good stuff. Uh, with that said, we'll see everybody next Wednesday. Always remember, the eyes and Texas are upon you. Hook em horns, and see you next week.